0: is MMA Torch editor Jamie Pennock and this is the Torch audio update for January 15th 2009. We've got uh, UFC 93 coming up this weekend and uh, we've got a special preview edition of that show. Joining me today are Torch senior columnist Sean Ennis and Torch columnist Matt Pelkey and Jason Bent. Guys, uh, not a lot on the line this weekend. Our main event of Rich Franklin and Dan Henderson will determine the uh, coach opposite Michael Bisping for the ninth season of The Ultimate Fighter. Um, but we've got some intriguing matchups on the undercard and a lot of stuff that could deliver uh, further than what the name value is. So um, despite the fact that not as many people are going to be watching this show as uh, the one coming at the end of the month, um whoever tunes in should not be disappointed. Uh, I just want to get your overall thoughts on the card and what you're most looking forward to. Jason, we'll start with you.
1: Overall thoughts on the card are that it is weak in comparison to everything else that we've had before and what's coming up. But on its own merits, it's not necessarily a weak card. Uh, the UFC is running at just such a, a high rate of speed that anything less than the ultimate and Couture Lesnar and St Pierre Penn is just viewed as kind of eh, but this is a great card on its own merits. Uh, it's going to be more for the hardcores, of course. Uh, really looking forward to simply the Franklin Henderson bout, uh, getting to see Kang for the first time in the UFC, and Davis Lytle, which you know technically is not going to be beautiful, but it's going to be one hell of a fight to watch. And overall, this card is very solid. I'm looking forward to it very much.
0: Matt, your thoughts on uh, UFC 93 here?
1: Yeah, it it lacks a
2: a true, you know, kind of big-time main event. There's no title fight, but the main event matches up possibly the the second and third-best middleweights in the world. Um, They're fighting at 205, but that doesn't take anything away from it. Um, And this is kind of a, a hardcore fan's fight card, you know, not a lot of people are, are that familiar with Shogun. They only know him from the fight where he lost to Forrest Griffin. But that's that's not the the real Shogun. I think we're going to see him uh, Saturday night, and uh, you know the debut of Kang. You get to see Rusemar uh avenge his loss the last time out, and hopefully get a, a bit of a showcase fight here. And then you know I think we're opening the show with uh, Davis Lytle, which should be fight of the night. So top to bottom, uh, main card I think is is very solid. Undercard's Pretty, pretty weak, but that's kind of what you get when you get the UK shows. Um, you know, we get tape delayed, so they're not going to really run out the, the best card so people can find out the results before they get to see it. But I think it should deliver. Um, it'll be worth the money, as UFCs have been pretty consistently lately. And it's a nice appetizer before UFC 94 in two weeks.
0: Sean, your thoughts? Yeah, I I, I I
3: agree that it's a it's a decent card. I think um, you know, if if Henderson Franklin was taking place in a vacuum that's a great fight. But once you get outside and see what is at stake, it gets a little bit weird. You know, they're fighting at two oh five for the chance to cut to one back to one eighty five to fight Bisping um at the end of the tough show, which you would presume is for a title shot against the guy that has beaten both of them pretty soundly. Um so that's a little bit odd to me. But anyway, um, and, and you know, also I think both of them pretty much handle this thing, but uh, all that's kind of beside the point. In it, it itself, it's a great fight, um, even though it's taking place at 205. And, uh, of course, you've got Kang. Um, but really one of, the, um, one of the things I'm looking forward to the most is going to be actually in the undercard, and that's um, Martin Kampman uh, making his welterweight debut. I think Campman is a guy that you're going to see. Um, I'm... Uh, I would almost be willing to bet that he would be close to a title shot by this time next year. He's he's that good. Um, you know, he's a guy who uh, got balled by Nate Marquardt, but Camden has never had the size of a middleweight to to really contend. But he still uh, beat the crap out of Talis Talis Lightus for three rounds, um, and you know he's going to be he's going to be a real force at 170. I'm really anxious to see what what he looks like against those guys.
0: You know, I'm going to take it a, just a step further than that. I I I think that he could challenge um for the welterweight title in 2009. I it's it's highly possible that he can get himself right up into it cuz like you said, you know, he's a bit of he was an undersized middleweight and still, you know, he rolled through Talisitas and um just came up short against a guy that if there was no Anderson Silva, would be one of those that was sticking around the top of the card for a long time. Uh, in Nate Marquart, so uh, that's not a knock against Martin Campman at all, and he's he's going to have success at 170. But uh, we'll get right into our what mo- most likely will be the opening bout of the night: Marcus Davis and Chris Lytle. And you know, they both said that they've conspired to make this a fight of the night. Um, you know, we talked about this off air, and uh, Matt or Jason it was one of you that made the comment that you know they should be going for fight of the night and one of them should be going for knockout of the night as well they're going for multiple bonuses in this opening bout and you know for as much skill as the guys have developed over their years they still got those boxing roots they still got that fighter stand-up mentality this one's going to be an All-out battle, and uh, it should be nothing short of exciting. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on our opening bout?
2: Um, You know, I I would be absolutely shocked if this wasn't fight of the night. These two guys are are just going to stand in front of each other and and throw bombs for as long as the fight lasts. Um, I think, you know, Marcus Davis, uh, first of all, I'm a huge Marcus Davis fan. He's a guy who came into the UFC as a boxer and lost his UFC debut against Melvin Gillard, and, and he was honestly a weak welterweight, and that's not something you can be in the welterweight division with all the, the really strong wrestlers, so he kind of took some time off, uh, joined the, the City of Tong camp, and came back kind of beefed up, and with a, a very, very good ground game, and he's reinvented himself at the age of 35, and I think that's very admirable, It's something that a guy like Chuck Liddell has refused to do, and going to end up uh, being what causes him to, to have to retire from the sport. But Marcus Davis has evolved with the fight game, and um, he, he's going to come in. And, and what kind of uh, disappoints me about this fight is what's going to keep it from becoming an absolute classic is that I don't think these guys are going to use their ground games. Uh, they're both very good on the ground, very scrappy fighters, and I think if they were to use all of their tools in the toolbox, this could be, you know, a fight of the year type of fight. Um, instead, I think it's just going to be a, a great slugfest battle. Um, Davis has the the power and the technique advantage, but Chris Lytle, I think, has a little bit better of a, a better chin. And I honestly, uh, I'm going to pick the upset here. I think Chris Lytle is going to keep swinging wildly until he lands a big shot that kind of stuns Davis and maybe puts him on the mat. And then he's going to pounce and uh, rain down punches until the ref steps in. I'm going to take Chris Lytle by second round TKO.
0: Sean, where are you at on uh, Lytle Davis after that semi-shocking prediction from from Matt? There.
3: Yeah, I, I don't think that Lytle can knock Davis. I, I think we're going to see, uh, uh, as as Matt said, we're going to see it, uh, you know, a slugfest for most of the fight. Um, and and I, I agree with him also that it's that it's a little bit disappointing because. Um, it would be uh I think it would be a heck of a ground battle if it went to the ground, you know. I think Davis has the skills to hang with Lytle, if not, you know, submit him or, or something like that. Uh, he could at least, you know, uh hang with him for a little while down there. Um I do think that Davis has the better strikes and I do think that uh Lytle, you know, while he does that striking, um, doesn't quite have the defense that that Davis has and uh, we'll probably end up getting cut at some point. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see if this would be a cut stoppage in the second or third round. In fact, I would go if I was to predict, I would say um, probably third round TKO, maybe maybe they stop it between the second and third because it cuts for Lytle. I mean, Jason, t- you're – sorry. <laughs> that was all.
0: <laughs> sorry about well, that.
1: With this bout, you look back when Affliction and Golden Boy – had this notion of promoting boxing and MMA on the same card. The UFC with Lytle Davis is really beating them to the punch. This is a boxing match that's going to take place on an MMA card. And the closest this one gets to the ground is going to be when the two men are seated between rounds. It's going to be a stand-up war the entire time. And I just simply think Marcus Davis is going to be too much for Lytle. I look for Davis to win by third-round TKO, I think Lytle is tough enough that he will weather the storm through the first and the second and give as much as he gets, but uh, by the third round, I just think the accumulation of punishment from a sharper and just a better fighter in Davis is going to come to light, and Davis takes this one in what should be a very fun fight to watch and more than likely could end up as fight of the night because it is going to be two guys on their feet, And everybody in attendance doing the same to watch them because they're just going to be swinging bricks at each other.
0: No, I'm with you on that. I've got Davis third round TKO. Um, I mean, they're both going to just absolutely impart a ton of punishment onto one another, but, uh, Davis still has the edge in the boxing and he's, he's going to connect on, um, enough to the, to the head of Lytle to to knock him down to the ground and, and finish it out. Um, Our next bout most likely will be between Jeremy Horn and Husamar Polaris. Polaris, of course, is, uh, you know, just a great jiu-jitsu practitioner, which caused uh, Dan Henderson to absolutely avoid the ground in his fight with him, which was a smart move. And, uh, you know, Jeremy Horn has seen just about everything from just about everyone in the sport of MMA. So uh, this is another one that uh, should be decent to watch. Um, I I'm, I'm thinking Polaris is going to get the better of horn horn's better days were past him two years ago, maybe three years ago, but, uh, you know, he's, he's still, he's still game. He's always got a chance to, to connect on stuff and, and, um, pull out a victory. But I think Polaris rebounds from his loss to Henderson picks up a submission. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go third round on that one. Jason, your thoughts on, uh, this second bout? Uh,
1: Jeremy Horn is always game, but I, I just think he is too shop-worn of a fighter. Uh, too many rounds accumulated in the ring as far as in the gym itself, and I, I just don't see how he's going to have that much left. Although, you know, it's Jeremy Horn. He does have a chance, but I think Husamar Polaris is just better than him at everything, and it's just a pure example of how, you know, the one-trick pony, the guys of yesterday, which is, you know, Jeremy Horn, can no longer thrive in this sport. Uh, Polaris is wicked on the ground, but he's also pretty solid on the feet as well. He's not a slouch up there. I, I just think uh, Husamar wins this one by way of submission in the second round. I think Horn has enough to get through the first, but uh, there, there's no way. In fact, I'm giving him respect by saying it gets to the second round because this one is likely to be over in the first. I think Polaris is too much for Jeremy Horn at this point and Jeremy Horn, with over 100 fights under his belt, is just really done. I don't see how he's going to have much left at all, other than his name and a will, but beyond the will, I don't think the ability is there any longer.
0: Matt, your thoughts on uh, Polaris and Horn?
1: Yeah, I I agree with Jason. I see
2: it a second round submission for Polaris. I I think Horn's uh, crafty enough to to survive around, but you know, Jeremy Horn, like you said, over a hundred fights, which is just a, a ridiculous number. Um, and he's fought top competition. He's not, you know, Travis Fulton going and fighting cans uh, three times a week. You know, he he pretty much only fights top top fighters, and now he's really struggling against those top fighters. And um, he's always been a fighter that's been, you know, very well rounded, but not like really good at any one thing and now he's a well-rounded fighter who's, I mean, just not good at anything. Um, he's been submitted his last two times out. Uh, granted, it's against Neymar, Court, and Dean Lister, who are very good on the ground, but, um, you know, Jeremy Horn just shouldn't be getting submitted that easily, and now he's facing the guy who's, who's you know, top of the division on the ground. Um, this should be a showcase fight for Paul will um, he'll, he'll redeem himself after his last fight, he'll he'll get it to the ground eventually and it won't be too long after that. Um I think Horn's done and, and this is really just a fight so that Playaris can get a win over a, a an opponent with some kind of a name and then, you know, move on to, to bigger and better things. So second round submission for Polyaris.
0: Sean, where are you at on this one? Uh Horn get any more credit than uh what we've given him so far?
3: Uh, no, I think um, I think Baharis takes it in the first. Quite honestly, he uh, I think once it gets, gets to the ground, it's not going to be very long at all before uh, Baharis, uh, uh gets a submission. Um, you know, Horn uh, like it was like um, it's like my, you know he's been submitted the last couple times out. Uh, granted, you know these guys were we not actually been submitted, but but Baharis is is better on the ground than both of them uh, as, as far as submission acumen goes uh even Dean Lister who's, you know, excellent on the ground. Um so yeah, I think Paul Harris gets this one gets it pretty easily. And uh you know, I I'm surprised that Jeremy Horn is still fighting actually. You know, he's he's putting on shows, you know, he's a he's a promoter and uh you know, he's got he's he's teaching people and all that kind of stuff. So I I don't know, maybe he's finishing out a contract, I don't know. But I don't see him having the uh you know, quite the desire still to put on a a full time camp to get ready for Paul Harris. Um I think he's just going to uh, come in, get submitted. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's not to question the desire of Jerry Horn completely, uh, because again, a guy that's got you know over 100 fights under his belt. But um, you know, I just I just can't see any way that he that he's getting out of the first round here.
0: Well, I think we're all in agreement on that one, and that uh, brings us to our next fight: Dennis Kang making his UFC debut um, after a long career outside of the UFC, um, you know, around 45 fights on on his belt, and uh, he's taking on Alan Belcher here. Um, this is going to be an interesting one to see how Kang makes the tra- transition into the octagon. Um, it hasn't been the easiest one for many fighters who have not been used to the octagon, and, uh, you know, Belcher, I mean, he's he's got... Talent. He's a good fighter. He's coming off of a, a victory and uh, he's going to be looking to make uh, to spoil the debut for Dennis Kang. I don't see that happening. Uh, I, I think Kang is uh, going to show that he's a much better fighter than Alan Belcher, but it, uh, it may take a little bit of getting used to inside the octagon. Um, I'm going to go second round TKO for Dennis Kang on this one. Uh, Sean, where are you at for Kang's debut?
3: I am I am leaning towards Kang for this. Uh, I'm not completely sold that he's gonna that he's gonna beat Belcher. I think it ends in TKO uh, regardless of who wins. <clears throat> I don't think it's gonna, it's gonna go the distance. But the thing is, neither guy is really known for his chin, and both guys are, um, you know, prefer to strike. So uh, I think it ends in a TKO. I, I'm leaning towards Kang in the second round. Um, I think it probably you know it probably will end in the second round, whether it goes to to Kang or Belcher. Um, but, yeah, I'm I, I leaning towards Kang. I'm not completely sold yet. So I'm going to say Kang in a
0: second, but you Jason, where are you at on Kang and Belcher?
1: Alan Belcher is talented. I mean, just as his nickname suggests, uh, coming off of that disputed victory over Ed Herman. But I really feel he's going into this fight as cannon fodder. I think, I think Dennis Kang is going to be the, a pride guy who thrives in his debut. I think he's really going to shine and if he, if he is anything like the Dennis Kang he used to be, this one's over midway through the second round, although I see it being Dennis Kang by second round submission. I think Belcher is a solid fighter, but, you know, Ed Herman gave him fits, and I'm sorry, I don't put Ed Herman on the level of a Dennis Kang. I just don't. I think this could be a tremendously enjoyable fight, especially for those who have been waiting with bated breath for Dennis Kang to get a shot in the UFC, and I really don't think he's going to let anybody down. I think this will serve as a great introduction on the biggest stage of all, and I think he comes out of this fight looking like a star to those who may not have been aware of him before. Uh, it should be fun while it lasts. Belcher is game enough to at least give and you know get this thing lasting into the second round, but beyond that, I think this one should be an easy victory for Dennis Kang.
0: Matt, where are you at on King's debut here against Belcher? Well,
1: you know, I was—I
2: <laughs> saw a little clip of of Alan Belcher talking about this fight online, and and he said that you know I know a lot of people consider me to be a top ten fighter, and I was wondering if he had asked anybody other than his mom, uh, <laughs> who if they thought you know he was a top ten fighter, because I certainly don't consider him a, in the top ten. You know, if you're coming off a split decision victory over Ed Herman, you're going to be, in a world of hurt, taking a step up in competition uh, like, like a Dennis King. I don't think Dennis King is, you know, Anderson Silva, but he is a legit top ten middleweight in the world, and uh, this is the first time we're going to get to see him in the octagon, which is exciting. Uh, I think it'll take him, you know, a minute or two to work on his timing, and get his bearings inside the octagon. Everybody gets those first-time jitters, but uh, eventually he'll get comfortable and he'll he'll you know, throw some punches. And I think he'll honestly, he'll probably get tagged with a shot or two and, and decide that he doesn't like that anymore. And he'll take Belcher down and then pound him out late in the first round, but it'll be a successful debut for Kang. And, uh, Alan Belcher can go back to fighting the Ed Herman's and Kendall Groves of the world.
0: (laughs) That brings us up next to, uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua taking on UFC hall of famer, Mark Coleman. Um, I mean, this is two guys who have had extended layoffs. Coleman was supposed to make his return against Brock Lesnar back in August of last year and uh, came up injured before that. And now he's dropping to light heavyweight to take on Shogun here. Shogun of course has been out since losing to Forrest Griffin back in December of uh, 07. So he's coming on uh, just over a year for his layoff and you know, these guys were once considered tops in their respective divisions. Coleman has a heavyweight who has a light heavyweight. Um, and it's, it's going to be very intriguing to see what happens in this. Uh, of course, their first fight in Pride uh, ended in controversy as Shogun blew out his elbow and dislocated it, trying to defend a takedown. And, uh, you know, we all know about the big scrum that happened between the corners at that fight, but you know, it's got a lot of intriguing backstory for not an entirely intriguing fight, but I I really want to see what what Shogun can do here, and we'll find out if Coleman belongs fighting anymore, or if he's sick in the head thinking he should still be in there uh, where he's at right now. So, uh, I, I think Shogun returns Not to form, but I think he picks up the victory here. I think he uh, avenges that loss to Coleman in pride. And uh, I've got second-round TKO Mauricio Hua. Uh, Jason, where are you at on this fight?
1: Uh, Coleman Hua is a fun grudge match for those that like to have that sort of storyline behind it. But that really is more compelling than the fight itself. I mean, you know, what is Mark Coleman going to wear for the fight? Depends, And they'll be under his trunks because he's almost 45 freaking years old. I mean, it looks like he's, uh, you know, pumped full of HGH. And again, you know, as long as he tests clean, it's fine. But, uh, you know, I just don't see Mark Coleman in 2009 being competitive against a healthy, in-shape, motivated Mauricio shogun Who I really don't. I think the backstory for this fight is more compelling than the fight itself is going to be and I think Coleman is going to be way too emotional, and he's going to make mistakes that Hua is going to capitalize on. I've got Shogun by late second-round submission, and this is only because I'm giving the Hall of Famer a little bit of respect that he's going to have enough in his gas tank to push it to that point, because this really should be Shogun's fight to win at any moment. I just think the emotions, the ring rust of Coleman, I think it's just too much, and I just think he's way too susceptible especially to the arm bar, and that's how I feel Hua could win this one. I I just think Coleman is just, his past was his best, and the Coleman of 2009 is not the Coleman of 1999, and this is Mauricio Shogun Hua. It's his fight, it's his win, and should probably be the last appearance for the UFC Hall of Famer, who should consider himself damn lucky he did not have to face Brock Lesnar.
0: (laughs) Matt, your thoughts here on Hua and Coleman.
1: Yeah, I don't think
2: uh missing Brock Lesnar to face Shogun Hua is uh, much of a reward for for Coleman. Uh, you know, I don't understand the the point of this fight. Um like we you know, you guys have both said it before the the back story is much more intriguing than the fight itself. Um what what does Hua have to gain from this fight? Um avenging a loss, I suppose. But it's a loss that 90% of the UFC's fan base knows nothing about because they weren't watching MMA when that fight happened and they probably weren't watching Pride anyway. So if he loses, it's not like Mark Coleman's going to stick around and be a contender in the 205-pound division. You know, he's not going to go on to challenge Rashad Evans. Um, he'd get destroyed by the top fighters. Um, he's He hasn't fought in well over two years. And, you know... That's one thing if you're 25 years old. It's another thing if you're 45 years old. You know, he's only getting older and slower and adding more ring rust the more time he takes off. Uh, his only shot is to charge in from the bell, try and get a takedown, and just unleash, you know, ground and pound until he gasses out two minutes into the fight. And I think he'll he'll eat a knee on the way in. He'll get stunned and Shogun will pounce on him and pound him out in 30 seconds. I I just don't see this fight lasting long at all. Um, Coleman, you know, I I would like there to be a better way for him to to go out, seeing as he is, you know, a pioneer of the sport, but he, over a a 15-year career, never evolved. So he doesn't, you know, he kind of deserves to, to get knocked out by a, a more well-rounded fighter on his way out the door, but uh, I, yeah, early first round uh, vicious vicious PKO for for Shogun who win his return.
0: Sean, where are you at on this one? Yeah, I don't see
3: any way for Coleman to win this fight. I think it's I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was kind of similar to the uh, to the Shogun Kevin Randleman fight. Randleman just got caught in the bar halfway through the first round. I think. Um, Coleman will be at least susceptible to something like that, like a leg lock. Um And I think he gets, I think he gets to, uh, probably either late or first or early second. Um I don't think he get knocked out. I think he's got enough, at least defensive uh, acumen to, to stop the TKO. But, you know, who's to say he won't, basically. <laughs> you know I, I don't know how exactly uh, Shogun's going to win this fight, but um I don't see any way he loses it, quite honestly. Although, uh this is the kind of fight where, you know, you say that kind of thing and then you end up being wrong. So um you know, I, I, I just don't I, I just think it's gonna be shogun. I think it's gonna be by submission, uh, probably in the first.
0: That brings us to our main event of the evening. Um a fight that would have had a lot more significance and meaning two and a half, three years ago. Um but we've got two former champions facing off. Uh I mean the the talk uh, two or three years ago was who would win in a fight, the pride champ Henderson or the UFC champ Franklin. And they were both, you know, very good champions, very great fighters in their own right. Um, And they both ran into the same bulldozer that is Anderson Silva. And that's where they're at today. And um, again, for some reason, this fight's taking place at 205 with the fighter then going back down to, to middleweight at 185 to face Bisping after the ultimate fighter. So, you know, when you look at the outside stuff going on to it, I mean, the repercussions, they're not great. Um, either way, uh, it's, it's, they're all, they're, they're setting themselves up to to face another guy that's beat them already. And, uh, of course they have to get through Bisping once they get through this fight, but, at the same time, again, who's going to want to see Anderson Silva um, throwing knees to Rich Franklin's face for a third time or uh, rolling through Dan Henderson again? Uh, it might be more exciting than Anderson silva Talis Laitis, but at the same time, it, it, it'll also feel like we've seen it before. So, um, Just taking the fight itself, though, I mean, these are two great fighters who, despite those losses to Silva, still have a lot left in the tank and are still um, two very good fighters. And with some extra pounds on them, uh, fighting that 205 here, um, this is going to be a definite uh, brawl standing up. I, I see this one standing uh, for most of the fight. I, I, I just think they're going to be um, using tactical kicks and punches throughout. Both of them are. Um, it's it's going to be a close fight. Uh I I'd, I'd give the edge to uh that's it's it's really tough but I think I'd give the edge to Franklin just a little bit on the stand up. Uh I think he'll have a little more power than Henderson and I I think he's going to pick up late late third round TKO if this one does not go to the judges. Um Matt where are you at on our main event?
2: I I know I'm in the minority here but I actually really like the matchmaking here. Um I like the fact that I, I know it's a little backwards being at 205 and the winner moving down. But the winner moves, gets the exposure, gets to move on to, to being a coach on the Ultimate Fighter. So, you know, you get the fame without having to get your face beat in, which is kind of nice. Um, and then possibly, you know, I have to assume the Bisping versus the winner of this fight fights would be for a shot at Anderson Silva. And I know I'm definitely in the minority in saying I wouldn't mind seeing a third fight between Anderson Silva and Rich Franklin, And that's the worst-case scenario of everything. Um, I would certainly love to see Bisping beat the winner of this fight to earn a title shot, because that would let us know that he's at least ready for the spotlight. I also think, uh, you know, Dan Henderson, if he wins and then beats Bisping, he definitely would have earned another shot at Anderson Silva. And who knows if he doesn't, you know, basically gas like he did in the in the first fight? It, it could have turned out differently. And on the flip side, the loser it's a lose or it's a no lose situation because the loser of this fight gets to stay at 205 and has you know 10, 15 intriguing possibilities after this fight. You know, uh, the loser could fight uh, you know Silva or Chuck Liddell or Forrest Griffin or the Tiago Silva Machita loser. You know, there's just plenty of good things to come out of this. You know, it's not for a title, which we we like to kind of end all our pay-per-views with a title fight, but it it presents a lot of different possibilities coming out. And as for the fight itself, um, I think it's pretty even on the feet. Um, Franklin's a little more technical. I I give a slight power edge to to Henderson. I think the difference, though, is Henderson is is a fantastic wrestler, and I think he'll be able to take Rich Franklin down a couple of times, Franklin's good on the ground, but not good enough to submit Henderson. And I think uh, you know a few times throughout the fight, Franklin will get taken down and eat some punches, and and that'll kind of be the difference uh, in a fight that I think will go to the judges. It'll be uh, an exciting fight, but not spectacular. There'll never be that edge of your seat moment. I think where you know it's it's really close to being finished. Um, I don't think anybody will ever be in too too bad a danger, but uh, I think Henderson's wrestling is the difference, and I think he wins this one by decision and moves on to coach against Michael Bisping.
0: That's a, that's a good take, Matt. Good take, Sean. Your thoughts on this fight?
3: <clears throat> um, honestly, I don't know what Franklin has to win here. Uh, besides, obviously, you know, beating Dan Henderson, um, he's already been a coach on the Ultimate Fighter. He's already fought Anderson Silva twice. Um, I don't know why he would want to move back to 185. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, obviously it comes with money, so there's always something to win with that. Um, but as far as the fight goes, I, I think I give, I give Henderson the edge on striking uh, as far as power. Um, I think Franklin probably uh, I would give the edge on um, striking style uh, just because it's a little bit unorthodox. Um, and, it, you know, it seems to give people uh, problems um it's it's tough to, against Henderson here uh just because of the wrestling and because of the power edge that he has um so i'm going to go oh, gosh it, i i'm thinking either henderson by by tko or franklin by uh, decision is is what i'm thinking and um i know that makes no sense given what i just said since henderson has the edge on wrestling but um i think i, I don't know i just think franklin has the ability to neutralize some guy's styles, um, and I think he might be able to do this here. So I'm going to go with my gut instead of my head and say Franklin, by decision. And just as a caveat to that, I'm always wrong when I go with my gut instead of my head. So uh,
1: we'll see what happens with that.
0: Jason, your thoughts on the main event?
1: Uh, This is a great fight. Uh, While it's not for a title and it lacks the, the marquee value to draw in, the masses, it is a great fight, although uh, you know it kind of reminds me of Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder, two of the best middleweights at light heavyweight for a chance to go back to middleweight is like I'm the dude playing the dude disguised as another dude. I mean, it's, it's really insane. And for like Michael Bisping, watching these two and knowing you're going to face one of them is like a son trembling in fear watching his abusive dad flip a coin to decide if he's going <laughs> to grab the belt or the club. You know, which one am I going to get beaten with? Because this is a huge step up from Chris Lieben. You know now that is a metaphor, how,
3: ladies and gentlemen. That's a metaphor.
1: You know, I don't care, uh, you know, how much testosterone was flowing through uh, through Lieben that night. Uh, Dan Henderson, or Ulrich Franklin is too much for missing at this point. Uh, as far as this fight itself, I've got Henderson by unanimous decision, but by no means do I think this is going to be an easy fight for him or a lopsided defeat for Franklin. I I think, uh, you know, neither man I I feel will be stopped in this bout. I think Franklin's footwork, his hand speed, and his general boxing ability should be enough to circle Henderson and allow him to remain in the fight. Um, If he can stick and move with quick and powerful shots and get the hell out of the way, he's got a chance, but I just think Henderson is too awkward, too powerful, and, you know, if they get into a clinch, Henderson can take him down at will, and that's going to be a concern for Franklin. While he's no slouch on the ground, I just think Henderson is a little bit better than him in just every area. Even at 38 years old, uh, you know Henderson is like a 28 year old fighter as far as his body. You look at Jeremy Horn, who's shopworn, and here's Dan Henderson, who's still got you know energy to burn, gas in the tank, and could conceivably fight for a few more years. Uh, I've got Henderson by unanimous decision. This should be a very very fun fight to watch. As far as the prize of getting the coach on the ultimate fighter, I don't think it's much of one. I think in the bigger picture, you're looking at uh, you know, a rematch with Anderson Silva for Dan Henderson, and regardless of the outcome of their first bout, I think Henderson is a guy who does have a chance to defeat Anderson Silva. If the two would meet again, I would give him much more of a chance than I would Franklin in a third bout. Uh, as far as this bout, it's Henderson by unanimous decision, in what should be a very good main event for a card that is pretty much nondescript in terms of star value.
0: Well, guys, we'll meet up again to, uh, to see if our predictions were on the money or way off after Saturday's show. Um, but thanks again for joining me on audio. Uh, and to Sean and uh, Jason, good luck to both of your teams out there this weekend on Sunday as uh, you. your Steelers and Eagles are both playing. So good luck to both of your squads, and uh, hopefully we'll see both of them in the Super Bowl so that you guys stay happy and uh, um, don't get on my case about it.
1: <laughs> but
0: uh, have a good one, guys, and we will talk to you after Saturday's show. All right.
1: Okay.